Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. Go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. We, one of the characteristics and sort of, I would say, tenets of a Calvary Chapel is to teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we're halfway through the Gospel of Mark. And I believe that Mark has given us the theme and context for the Gospel. In the very first chapter, when you have the very first words of Jesus in this Gospel, where Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, or you could say it this way, the time has arrived, the time is now, and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, believe, in the gospel. So, so Mark records the words of Jesus, and it's really the, the whole theme of the gospel, that it's here now, the kingdom of God is, has arrived in the person and in the power of Jesus Christ. And the evidence, the impact, the proof was, well, it's unbelievable and undeniable. It starts with his baptism. Jesus is baptized there in the Jordan by John the Baptist, and the heavens open, the dove descends, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, a voice thunders from heaven, this is my son. I mean, that's pretty good evidence, isn't it, of who he is, that the kingdom of God has arrived. And then he, he calls his disciples. They begin to follow him. And this whole story begins to open and unravel. He, he teaches in the synagogue, and they go, wow, no one ever taught like this with such great authority, such power. And in the midst of his teaching there in the synagogue in Capernaum, a, a, a demon cries out, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what do you have to do with us? And over and over again, we, we, we see who Jesus is as the kingdom of God has come. He, he, he casts out this demon and leaves the synagogue, goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. She's sick with a fever. He, he heals her. And then that afternoon, as the sun is setting and Sabbath ends, people from all over the town and region line up at the door, and Jesus heals them. This stuff begins to happen, and, and, and he cleanses a leper next, and no one would touch a leper. No one comes near a leper, but Jesus makes him whole. He's teaching at a house there in, in Capernaum, and the crowd is so thick, it's so heavy, that it's, it's so crowded inside and outside that these guys want their friend, who's a paralyzed person healed, they climb up on the roof. They tear the roof off. They let this guy down. Jesus not only heals him, but he also forgives his sins. And the Pharisees and the scribes hear this thing about forgiving of sins. They say, wait a minute. No one forgives sin but God himself. And Jesus goes, you guys got it. The kingdom of God has arrived. The Messiah's here. He calls a tax collector to follow him, and they get all upset over it and says, he's eating with sinners, he's hanging out with, with tax collectors. And Jesus says, well, you know what? It's the sick people who need a doctor, 
not those who think they're already whole. And, and he begins to do things on the Sabbath that they're opposed to, these religious leaders. He lets his men thresh grain with their hands as they pass through. They say, no, that's work. And Jesus also heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And he finally says, you know what? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus begins to demonstrate. He begins to tell who he is. He does these parables about soil, about there's some hard soil, there, there's good soil, there's soil that, 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 that where seeds grow up fast and then they get burned up. And, and he, he, he tells about this lamp, speaking of himself, that, that you, you take the Messiah, you take the truth and you put it right in the center of your life. You don't hide it under a bushel or under a bed. They, they go out, him and his men, on, a, on the lake or the Sea of Galilee, and a storm erupts, and Jesus, of all places, is in the back of the boat, sleeping. And they ask the question that a lot of us ask in the midst of a storm, don't you care? Don't you see? Don't you care, Jesus, what we're going through? And he, he, he's awakened by them, and he says, peace be still. And the wind stops, the waves stop. And the question comes forth, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? And this resounding theme in these first eight chapters is coming forth in all these different ways that the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ has arrived. Over and over again, he, he gets past that storm. He lands in this area called Gad Gadara, and there's a man living out in the tombs. He's naked. He's been shackled. He's been cut. He's been disowned by his family, his friends, his town, and he's full of a legion of demons. And Jesus casts the demons out of this man, makes him whole. The, the Bible says he's sitting clothed and in his right mind. And he wants to go with Jesus. Jesus, can I get in the boat and go with you? And Jesus says, no. He says some wonderful things to him that maybe God's whispered into your heart. He says, you go back to your own hometown, to your people, and you tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And really, as you read through the Bible, it's the first missionary that Jesus ever sent out. Um, so if you think you're unqualified, think about this guy. A legion of demons found in the tombs, naked, cut with shackles on. Most of you haven't gotten that far yet, have you? Well, he was that far. And Jesus used him amazingly. He, he's doing incredible things. There's a woman with an issue of blood who, who, who has been to all these doctors and she can't be healed and she thinks, well, if, even though I'm unclean, if I can just sneak into town and touch his garments, the hem even, I'll be made whole and it occurs. And Jesus tells her to go in peace. Her sins are forgiven. He was on his way to a, to a ruler of the synagogue's house when this happened and to heal her, 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 his little 12-year-old daughter. And they get the message, don't bother him anymore, she's died. And Jesus says, no, she's, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. And he goes to the house and he raises this little 12-year-old girl back to life. Now, now, how much evidence do you need? He's stopping storms. He's casting out demons. He, he's healing the sick. He's, he, well, if you were to read chapter 
3, just a few verses, listen to what it says as Jesus is identifying and, and, and showing to the crowds and to, to his disciples that the kingdom of God has come. It says, Jesus withdrew in chapter 3 with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan, and from Tyre, and from Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, they, they came. So he told his disciples, get a small boat, keep it ready, because the multitude is going to crush me. And he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him, unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him. You're the son of God, they would say. And he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. So everybody's coming to him, getting healed. Demons are cast out. He finds himself in a boat, uh, well, sends his disciples out again on a boat. This time he stays up in the hillside and prays. And a storm hits. And Jesus comes walking on the water. Then he feeds 5,000 with a few loaves and fish. He heals the deaf, the blind. He feeds 4,000 more with seven loaves. And, and now in chapter 8, halfway through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus gives his men a midterm exam. He calls them aside. And he says, okay, let me see if you're getting this if you recognize and realize who I am and that the kingdom of God has come. So, there we have in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. This is at the foot of Mount Hermon. This is a ways from the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is kind of giving them a pop quiz, giving them a midterm exam, if you will. And he asks, talking to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Now, after all that he's done, after everything that they've seen and experienced, all these crowds and people, Jesus said, okay, what do they think? Who, who, who do they think I am after I've done all these amazing, wonderful things? And they respond. Some think you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist never did a single miracle. But, but, but Herod had, had, in Mark chapter 6, had thought that Jesus was John come back to life. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. He said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers artwork in him. So, so some of the people kind of adopted Herod's mindset and said, well, he must be uh, John the Baptist uh, come back to life. And then his men said something else. They said, well, you know, some say you're Elijah. And Malachi had, had spoke of that in the Old Testament. Behold, I'll send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So they're thinking, well, this is, this is what's happening. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So they're thinking, okay, if it's not John the Baptist, and maybe Elijah has shown up because we're at the end of time. And then others said, well, well maybe uh, some say you're just one of the prophets. And Moses had spoken of this in Deuteronomy. 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So here, here's the word on the street, Jesus. That they either think you're John the Baptist or, or you're, uh, you're, 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 you're Elijah or you're one of the prophets. And, and please listen, know this. These are not put-downs. These are not things that uh, are degrading of Jesus. The, the, the whole first half of, of Mark is about who he is. And the second part, where we are headed now, is what he came to do. So, so there's a how and there's a, there's a who, there's a who, there's a how. And, and lots of people have ideas and, and concepts of, 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 of who Jesus is. You know, I, I was hanging out with a couple of five and four-year-olds that are related to me, and, and I, I asked them a question. I said, who's your favorite Bible character? I, I wanted to see what they had to say. And of course, everybody in the United States knows who Jesus is. So the first response was, Jesus? I go, no, no, not Jesus. That's, no. Oh, who's your favorite Bible character other than Jesus? God? No, no. They're the same guy. And so, so they came up with, with another name. But I think it's interesting. Everybody in the United States kind of knows who Jesus is. But not everybody has the same idea about who Jesus is. Even, even those in Jesus' day who saw all the Oh, some, you're, you know, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets. Today, you would ask that question. Some people would say, well, there's a Republican Jesus. He's against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values, and he also likes firearms. That's, that's a Jesus that some people know. There's Democrat Jesus, who's against Wall Street, Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's therapist Jesus. A lot of people like therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. That's therapist Jesus. There's Starbucks Jesus. He drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversation, and drives a hybrid. You guys know Starbucks Jesus. There's open-minded, tolerant Jesus who loves everyone all the time, everywhere, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you are. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster, jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcome of all Super Bowls. There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus, who's meek and mild, high cheekbones, flowing hair, walks around barefoot, wears a sash, and looks somewhat German when you see him. There's hippie Jesus, teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus, who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, and buy a boat. You know yuppie Jesus? There's spirituality, Jesus. He hates religion. He hates churches. He hates pastors. He hates priests, hates doctrine. He would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to weird spiritual music. That's uh, 
spirituality Jesus. There's platitude Jesus. He's good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, bad sermons, inspiring, inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the system. There's guru Jesus, wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your true center. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around you as you sing about his intoxicating love in a secret place. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there's Jesus, the son of the living God, not just a prophet, the son of Abraham and David, the chosen seed. It's Yahweh in the flesh. The one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the good news to the poor. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's that Jesus. The creator who came to earth, the beginning of the new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke to the serpent. The Christ prefigured in Noah in the flood. Promised to Abraham prophesied, the Christ guaranteed Moses before he died, the Christ promised to David when he was king, revealed to Isaiah as the suffering servant, the Christ predicted through the prophets, prepared for through John the Baptist, the real Jesus, the Bible Jesus. Who do men say that I am? Oh, they say you're all kinds of things. And, and then he asked this question. Look what it says there in, in, in Mark chapter 8. Then he said to them, after they said, John the Baptist, some Elijah, some one of the prophets, he said, but who do you say that I am? You guys have been my closest friends. You've been with me in the storms. You've been, been with me every healing and every situation I've been in. You, you've traveled with me from, from, from Capernaum to, to Jerusalem. You've been with me the whole time. So who do you think that I am? Do you think I'm John the Baptist? Do, do you think I'm Elijah? He shifts the question to his disciples. What about you? And Peter speaks up, somewhat like the blind man that had just recently be, been healed and now can see extremely clearly. And Peter answered and said, you're the Christ. Which is a term that means anointed one or chosen one or actually means Messiah. You're the Messiah. Peter knew who he was. This is incredible. But he didn't know what he had come to do. You see, everyone had a political understanding of Messiah. Messiah would be a conquering general. Messiah would be a king who would overthrow the Romans and reestablish the rule and authority of Israel. But, but listen to what Jesus says. He, he warned him that they should strictly tell no one about him. It wasn't his time yet. He didn't want the world to know he was Messiah because they had crucified him. But here's what he began to teach. And here's where we move from, from the first half of Mark to the second half he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. He'll be rejected. 
by elders, chief priests, and scribes. And he'll be killed, and after three days he'll rise again. And he spoke this word openly. See, Peter's good with Messiah. Peter's good with anointed Jesus, miracle-working Jesus. And he is all that. But he's also the sacrifice for sin, Jesus. He's the payment for our wrongs, Jesus. He's the one who provides what we cannot provide. He's crucified, Jesus, where, where judgment and grace meet together on the cross, where, where, where love and wrath collide there on the cross, where, where God does something that no man can, can do, where he condemns sin and yet loves us and pours out justice and freedom at the same time. It's this amazing thing that Jesus is now beginning to, to reveal not only who he is, first half, but how I'm going to accomplish what I've come to do. And I would submit to you, no one really knows who Jesus is until you know him as Savior, until you know him as Jesus on the cross, until you know him as the one who died for your sins and rose from the dead on the third day, and you've believed in him and trusted in him, then you get to know the real Jesus. You can't know Jesus unless you know him for who he says he is. And he says, here's who I am. Not only am I this miracle worker, not only am I the Messiah, but here's how I am going to be your Messiah. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And after three days, I'm going to rise again. And he spoke this word openly. And Peter does something really weird after this. In verse 32, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Jesus says, here's, here's what I'm coming to do. And Peter's like, this is not the kind of Messiah we are, we're looking for. Come over here for a minute, Jesus. <laughs> Forget about the cross. Forget about this suffering stuff. Forget about this dying and being rejected. Je Jesus, you're, 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 you're Jesus, you walk on water. No one else does that. You're, you're demon casting out Jesus. You're dead people raising Jesus. You're paralytic healing, for, sin forgiving, Roman conquering, Pharisee rebuking Jesus. Forget about this suffering Jesus. And then Jesus, look what it says. He turned around, verse 33, almost like Peter's now behind him. And he looked at his disciples and he rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, you're saying the same thing to me that Satan said to me in the wilderness. Use your power. Turn this stone into to bread. Jump down off the pinnacle of the temple to establish your kingdom. Give up the cross, Jesus. Bypass it. If you're Messiah, if you're God, if you're his son, then be powerful. Establish your kingdom now. And Jesus said to him the same thing he said to Peter, get behind me. Be gone. See, please listen. 
Jesus came to be a sacrifice for your sin and my sin that we might be forgiven. That's the Jesus he is. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, listen, you don't really know Jesus. Well, you may know about him just like they knew about him in, the, in this chapter. They thought he was this and that. But if you don't really know why and who he came and what he did, see, see look what happens after this. And when he had called the people, not just his disciples now, he's drawing others into it. With his disciples, he said, whoever desires to come after me, and let me stop right there. Jesus, who, who, who desires to come after me? I, I'm sure they're all going, Jesus, I, I'll come after you. You, 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 you provide free food and, and healing and, and miracles and everywhere you go, it's exciting. Well, yeah, I'll come. It's kind of like, I don't know if you saw uh, the donkey in Shrek. Pick me, pick me, pick me. That's what he's doing. These people are like, yeah, I'll go. But then he changes the tone a little bit. He says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me, deny myself. Well, what is that all about? Well, that, that means to stop making yourself the center. Stop making it all about you. How, how many of you ever look in the mirror? Anybody ever look in the mirror? It's a, it's a scary thing, isn't it? It's kind of like this. You, you look in the mirror. Remember Peter when he was by the fire and these, these young maidens came up to him and said, hey, your accent's Galilean. You're, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? No, I, no, I'm not. And then another one came and said, hey, you, you're one of his followers, aren't you? No, I, I never knew the man. And the third time it happened, this time he cursed and he swore that he never knew. And, and the cock crowed like Jesus said it would. And he denied him three times. And the Lord says, you've got to deny yourself. It's kind of like you look in the mirror and say, no, I don't know that man. I'm not following him. He's not in charge of me. I've denied him. There's someone else I follow. See, see, when I look in the mirror, I see a guy who always wants to be first. Well, when I look in the mirror, I see a guy who always wants to be served, serve me. My opinion really counts. He wants to be right all the time. My wife tells me that all the time. You want to be right all the time, don't you? Yeah, of course I do, because I am. No, no, you deny yourself, and the Lord becomes right. He becomes first. He becomes the one you follow. He becomes the leader of your life. I say no to me. I say yes to Jesus. I say no to constant self-gratification. His will, not mine. Okay, Lord, I'm going to leave my old life behind, and I'll follow you. Listen to the words of Jesus. Whoever desires to come after me, whoever it's an individual choice. Whoever desires to come after me, well, there's a cost involved. He's deny himself, take up a cross, and follow me. And, and that cross is, I think, different for everybody in different stages of life. The cross is not some irritation or something that you put up with. That's not your cross. The cross is dying to yourself so that you can come alive to Jesus, say no to yourself so you can say yes to Jesus. 
you know, the cross is not, you know, your neighbor next door who you don't like. Oh, it's my cross to bear. No, that's not what he's talking about here. It's not, it's not Highway 98 with all the cans and the guys who aren't working. Why aren't they working? You know, that's not your cross to bear. It's not your neighbor. It's not some irritation. It's not your spouse. Don't even look at them right now. It's, 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 it's my means of denying self and, and dying to myself, a, a surrender to the Lord, an obedience to him. I, I deny die, and I follow those three things. And he says, whoever wants to do this, individual choice to follow, to serve. And then he goes on to say, what's it going to profit a man if he gains the whole world and, and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He says, if you're number one and, and, and you know, you, you, you go after all the things that you can go after in life. And let's say you had it all. And yet you lost your soul. What would you trade, he's saying, for what's temporal to lose what's eternal? That's a pretty bad deal, isn't it? I'll, I'll take something temporal instead of gaining something eternal. The problem with us, though, is it doesn't take the whole world to buy us off. The enemy can buy us off pretty cheap. He'll say, you know what? How about some, some drugs? Would you like that? It's exciting. You'll get high. And he'll buy us off with the cheapest he possibly can. How about a little extramarital affair? I can buy him or her off with that. Some immoral sex. How about a little tax-free money under the table? Will that buy you off? I would submit to you that, that the enemy can buy us off pretty cheap, knowing our weaknesses and our desires. But God, and he offers the highest price he could possibly offer. He says, I'll buy you. I'll buy you with my only begotten son the greatest of all that I own in heaven. And that's what he gives. Isn't it interesting how the, the enemy will offer you something so cheap and so sordid and will so quickly be bought off, but God comes with the greatest gift he could possibly give. It cost him the greatest thing in all of heaven, his only precious son, who'll suffer and be rejected and die on a cross and then say, okay, whoever wants eternal life, let him come after me. Don't trade what's temporal for what's eternal. The Bible says this, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that is the judgment. There's two words that bother me in there, and it's the words after that. Because here's the deal. There is an after that. I, I, I believe that once you die, there's an after that. And so Jesus says, listen, don't, don't, be, don't be confused about who I am. And don't be confused about gaining this world and losing your soul. And he asks the question, I think it's a resounding question that we all must ask ourselves and that the Lord asks you and he asks me, who do you say that I am, John? 
Am I that suffering Savior that died for your sins? Do, do you know him that way? Because listen, if you don't know him as Savior, you don't know who Jesus said he was. You just know about him or, or you've heard different things of him. And, and what will you exchange for your life in Christ? I think it's a great question. I remember when I started processing that question as a young teenager, high school dropout, and all these things were coming to a head in my life, and I was there, you know, what is, my brother gets saved, and I'm thinking, what is going on? And I began to ask the question as I began to read a Bible that my brother gave me, who, who, who is Jesus, and what has he got to do with me? And somewhere between 18 and 19 in that age, man, I, I made a decision. I think Jesus is the Savior. I'm going to receive him as my Savior. And he gave me the ability to start a brand new life. And my life verse became this one in Corinthians that said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. Had I never done that, I can guarantee you, I wouldn't be up here standing behind this weird gizmo. Uh, my life has been much darker, much more desperate. But I realized that Jesus was only a healer. He wasn't only the Messiah, but he was a Messiah that came to die on a cross so that my sins might be forgiven and I could start a brand new life. Amen. And he's done the same for you. The question is, who do you say he is? And have you received him as your Lord and Savior? The question I would ask you real simply is, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you have, wonderful. If you have not, hey, today could be your day. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. You don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't. There could be a pandemic. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But, but I know it's going to happen today. In just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you, if you have never received Jesus Christ, would you like to? And I'll ask you with heads bowed, eyes closed, to raise your hand. And some of you might do that. Some of you right now are thinking, I'm not doing that. Well, listen to what Jesus says as he closes this out. Whoever is ashamed of me, last verse, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Do you think this is an adulterous and sinful generation? Pretty much. Of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. See, see here's what we'll do in just a few minutes. We'll ask you to raise your hand if, you, if you've never received Jesus Christ or if you're someone who's drifted away from him and you're involved in things you know are not right. And I'll give you an opportunity to respond. And I'll encourage you not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. There's no reason to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that in just a minute. And the question that I'm asking you to, to think about in your heart right now is, who do you say Jesus is? And are you following him? Are you being bought off by the enemy? Or have you been bought off by the greatest price that was ever given the blood of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. 
Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel. 